so 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 you you graduate from uh, from Niagara and and you you go into the U.S. Army, uh, and I'm sure that was because of the draft because that confronted me also. And, and while you're in the Army, you played on the Army uh, base basketball team also. What was that like? Well, when I got out, I thought I was going to sign a baseball contract because back then there was no draft. Mm -hmm. Well, my eye kept getting worse and worse and worse. And I was going to sign with Cleveland at the end of my sophomore year. And I decided I, that was a big decision for my dad and I because he always wanted me to be a player. Mm -hmm. So I said, no, I want to finish at Niagara because we had this great basketball team and we were playing and it was a, a wonderful ride for all of us. So when I got out, the draft board told me I was not going to be drafted till the following August. Mm -hmm. So the treasurer of Niagara called me up and said, listen, there's a little school called St. Mary's of Little Falls, New York. They're looking for a basketball, baseball guy. There's only 150 kids in the high school. It's my old high school. Would you like to coach that team and just do phys ed four days a week and then see if you like doing that before you go in the Army? Well, I got there, and that changed my whole outlook on life about basketball because I was really a baseball guy. I coached there for a year, and those kids were such incredible kids, a town of 9,000. That's where I learned how to coach. And I started two freshmen and a sophomore. The one became the, the captain at Lemoyne. The other guy played at LaSalle uh, in Philly, and the other kid was a starter at the University of Buffalo. And our center broke all the records at Little Utica College, Division mm -hmm, Three. Mm -hmm. Now you say, in this little town? I said, how about across the street? I said, at Little Falls High School. The six-foot-nine kid, McCauley, played at St. Bonaventure's with the Sith brother and the great St. Bonaventure's team yes. that were rated one, two, or three in the country. Yes, I played the, against them. Their point guard was a kid who captained the University of Florida. I said the best guy of the three of them signed for 125,000. Think about that. In 1956, he got 125,000 to pitch for the Chicago White Sox. Wow. And then after his career in baseball, he became a outstanding high school basketball coach at Corcoran High School in Syracuse, New York. George, in this little town of 9,000 people. Mm. I go into service. They send me to the Presidio of San Francisco. I'm hoping to go back to Fort Monmouth. Mm -hmm. They sent me to San Francisco. On our team, Carol Williams, who is the innovator of the flex offense, mm -hmm. Santa Clara assistant, then head coach Santa Clara, and then became the AD. And then they're off of this team. There was Norm Ellenberger, who you know, mm -hmm. Norm Ellenberger, a great coach at uh, New Mexico. I, uh, for years and was also a baseball guy. And then we had this all-American guy by the name of Tony Saltis from Southern Cal, six foot five, San Francisco guy. Well, our team, we only had 10 guys. That first year, they still had the all-army tournament. Well, we win the sixth army tournament. We come back to the all-army, which is being held in Fort Monmouth, New Jersey. Who's running it but Frank Layden and another guy who played with us and was my roommate, a guy by the name of Jim McDonald out of Albany. <laughs> They're running the tournament. Oh, my God. 
the Far East team has Ralph Beard, Bo Arias, who played. Mm-hmm. The teams were loaded with pro guys. So the final game is the Presidio versus Fort Dix. Now we have our team. Fort Dix has Tom Gola, as we know, probably yeah, first team all American brother. Sayugo Green, who's playing with Cincinnati. Gola's playing with Philadelphia. Danny Maddox, who's playing with the Knicks. And then there was one other guy they had. And then they had Wally Choice, who was the leading scorer. At the, Eastern the game goes into overtime, George. But I can't stop Sayugo. I'm, I'm playing Sayugo. And the game goes into overtime. And Sayugo fouls me out in the middle of the overtime. And they beat us. It was a close game. But it was an incredible experience. That was the last All-Army basketball tournament. The following year, we got in the AAU tournament as the Presidio AC. We win and we go back to the national tournament there. It was an eye-opening thing for me. And then at the end, Carol Williams and I were both offered a deal in the AAU league by the Seattle Buchanan Bakers. And Carol took that got his uh, master's degree at the University of Washington while he was playing for the Bakers. I went back to Niagara and got my master's degree and teacher's credential because I had a BS in economics, but I knew now I wanted to be a coach. And I played in the Eastern League while I was doing that and uh, commuting on weekends to play in the league. Uh, But that's how all that happened. I'm talking about this, George, like it was two weeks ago, yes, right? Yes. We're talking 1957 and 1958. We're talking a lifetime ago. Yeah, and when you played in the Eastern League, you, you played for what, the Rochester Colonels? Well, the first team. First uh-huh. time we played at Rochester. Uh-huh. And we had Arnie Rice, who was in the Hall of Fame, was our center. Mm-hmm. And then we had Dick, Rick, uh, Dick Ricketts, who was the great All-American player. And then we had uh, uh, Jimmy Cunningham from uh, uh, Canisius. And... Uh, Bo Arias uh, was finished playing pro ball. He played with us. But the team folded. So Bo and I went down and played uh, for Williamsburg after the team folded uh, because we were the only team outside of Pennsylvania. And our commute was so so far and everything that people couldn't relate to it. But uh, I played in the league a number of years, and then I got a knee injury in the summertime, but and that ended uh, basketball for me. But... As you know, the fixes of the late 40s and 50s of college basketball, all of those great players were playing in the Eastern League Mm -hmm. because they were barred from the NBA. Bill Spivey and those guys, yeah. The one year, Judge, we're in the finals, Allentown. Backcourt was Larry Hennessy, Mm -hmm. Brendan McCann, and myself. And then we had Ray Scott Mm -hmm. up front. Uh, and then uh, Ray Felix was our center, mm-hmm. Pete Brennan from Carolina. Mm-hmm. So we're playing Baltimore for the championship. So it's 1-1, and the next game is played in Baltimore for the championship. They have up front Spivey at center at 7-2 from Kentucky. Sherman White, the number one player in college basketball from LIU, and mm-hmm. the other at 6-8. Mm-hmm. And a Roman, Eddie Roman, who was the best player at CCNY when they not only won the NCAA, they won the NIT. Yeah. But in the backcourt, Ralph Beard. Mm. Ralph Beard, who later became what was uh, a scout for me at, with the Kentucky uh, Colonels. <clears throat> Ralph Beard was first team all NBA with Bob Davies 
George Mikan, Pollard, and then uh, the All-American who played with him at Kentucky. And then they entered the league as the Indianapolis Olympians played in the NBA. Well, that, that was a, that team right there in the uh, Eastern League could have played in the NBA. Yeah. I mean, they were that good. Yeah. And people, you know, unless they saw these guys play, but because of the fixes or the association where maybe some of them were convicted, others were not, they could not play in the NBA. Leave St. Mary's Academy, you go to Cranford, and then where you really started to to, to come into notice when anybody who knew basketball on the East Coast was, was Fairlong High School. Talk to us about those those days at, at Cranford and at Fairlong. Fairlong, I know you, 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 you did everything but drive the team bus to the games. Uh, there you coach baseball, you coach yeah. the football. So, uh, off, uh, defensive coordinator in football and, and the baseball, head baseball coach in basketball. So there was nothing else left for you to do but drive the bus. Well, I was lucky, George, because when I came out of the Army and I put in a year to get my master's degree at Niagara, I was playing in the Eastern League. Then I get my degree. Well, you got to get a job. Bill Martin, who was the athletic director and the head basketball coach at <clears throat> Cranford High School says, I have an opening. My assistant, Roly Mazzamino, is taking over the hillside job. So I go to Cranford. He says, but look, I want you to be the head baseball coach, assistant basketball coach, and I'd like you to be an assistant in football. Now, we're group four, which are the largest yes. schools in Jersey. So I, I really had to learn football, okay? And little did I know, I went to this clinic in Atlantic City. There were 1,600 coaches there for football. I was writing everything down. Because who was there? Lombardi, Bear Bryant, uh, the, the, uh, the coach of uh, Southern Cal at that time. But they had the great oh, Southern John Cal. John McKay. John McKay. Okay. George, that cast... Of clinicians. I walked out of I had so many notes I didn't know what to do with them all, okay? But the thing was the Bear Bryant thing. Maybe we can get back to that later. But I did that for five years. Bill got me the job at Fairlawn High School. I go up there. They are much bigger than we are. 2,900 kids, 10, 11, and 12. And we're in a real big football league. I, so I become the defensive head coach for uh, football, then head basketball, head baseball. Now, I love that. Because uh, the last game I coached on Thanksgiving Day in front of 12,000 people, our string of 24 straight games, we, we lost on a block punt into the end zone. They fell on it and beat us by a point. And I worked with a guy by the name of Frank Devins, who was way way ahead of his time because now we're talking 1966 67 i was there 65 66 67 with the spread offenses and the passing and all of this wide open bat football that we're seeing today yes he was way ahead of this he and i learned so much for him about shortened practices uh less physical contact and that his technique was incredible our lacrosse coach won the lacrosse championship, state championship six years in a row. 
I was affected by him because of how he coached and what he ran and things of that nature. So at Fairlawn, doing the football, basketball, baseball, and then running a swim club in the summertime with, with uh, I was an assistant a swim club guy, then running your leagues in the summertime, you know, your baseball guys had to play at the American Legion, then the basketball guys had to play in this league. And um, to this day, my wife will tell you, that was the happiest time. Mm -hmm. We were just scraping along, George, as yeah. you know. And I'll never forget it. I was making $18,750. And Warren Mitchell, who's the coach of William & Mary, comes to me and says, because he sees me speaking at the five-star camp, mm -hmm. and my team was there. He offers me the job for 7000 to come to be the assistant. Now, here we are with three kids. We're going to get a fourth one uh, in two years, but... At that time, we have three kids, and I'm sitting on the Wren Building steps with a close friend of mine and yours, Les Critchman, mm -hmm. and we're sitting there, and I'm saying, how can I do this? Go from 18,500 back to 7,000 with three kids. I said, how am I going to do this? Little do I know when we go there. The football coach is Marv Levy. He has Bobby Ross as his quarterback coach, Larry Pecatello as his defensive coordinator, who was with the Redskins when they went three chance. Hal Hunter, the offensive line coach, Pittsburgh Steeler, offensive line coach, four years when they ring the four. But all of these guys are at William & Mary. The Olympic track coach, 10 years from now, is the track coach, Harry Woods. It was unbelievable. It was a great experience going to William & Mary. And once again, I wasn't sure I should do that because once we leave that high school situation where you affect the lives of the kids, uh, you now, once you start up, you start giving away that type of a relationship. You have relationships at the college level and the pro level. And then naturally, as you grow up, you lose security as you're going up. Uh, but for me, it was a great time. How did you? How did you? Were you able to to make it? You'd be dropping from eighteen thousand to seven thousand. Obviously, your wife probably had to go to work, and you guys had to cut back on and make a lot of sacrifice. That was a hell of a sacrifice to go to college coaching. George, after one year, we went to Duke. You didn't get a full share of the camp. Uh, Vic Bubis was the head coach. You didn't get a full share until you ran the camp. You got one hundred and fifty a week for three weeks. Same deal, seven down. My wife had, she was a uh, BS in nursing, was the nurse at the emergency hospital, it went at the Duke Hospital. And then we had Brendan Brown. And uh, you're absolutely right. Because what happens is, and you tell coaches this, back then when we would do clinics, stop saying that you think the assistant coach has it great can you go backwards to go forwards, mm -hmm. dollar-wise? More important, can your wife, with the family, accept going backwards and forwards? The coach is on a retainer when he goes out to recruit, all right, whether he's driving or flying and has a per diem, etc. Your family is still at home and the children are still going to school, 
and you're still on making $7,000 and you're trying to stretch your money. That's when you know you must be married to a person that can handle this type of restricted income, the children going to school, you going on the road so much in recruiting, never mind the games, and then on the summer, well, at the summertime, you and I must have done, come on, Joey, the two of us had to do at least a minimum of 15 That's where you made a lot of your extra clinics. money. Come on, that's where we yeah, made our money, right? Yeah, extra money driving up and down the, the, the highways of, of New Jersey and Delaware and Pennsylvania and New right. York. Anywhere anybody would listen to us, we'd go. It didn't make any, but in those days, you guys never got into coaching for the money. You got into no. it because you loved the game and you really felt that you could contribute to to, to the game and that. You know, you I, I, we haven't talked a lot about him, and I would like to just bring him up and, and have you amplify uh, some words about him. And that's Al Lababo. I know, I know he, he not only touched your life as a coach, but so many of the young guys, uh, you know, he was someone that – when you when you were coming along as a coach, someone says, "Hey, you need to you need to get to know Al Lababo. You need to sit down and talk to him. This guy's a this guy is a genius when it comes to the game of basketball." Tell us a little bit about uh, more about him. You, Al Lababo came to St. Mary's High School, George, when I became a freshman. Our eighth grade team won the state championship of CYL Catholic schools in the state of New Jersey. When I went to the ninth grade, here this guy came into our school and little did we know that he was from New York City Lower East Side and that at Iowa State he was a halfback in football he was a point guard in basketball and he and Stubby Obermeyer who pitched in Major League Baseball for years were the two best pitchers in, in the uh, Big Eight at that time. Mm -hmm. He comes, signs baseball contract, he goes through the minor leagues, he gets drafted all right. He's up pitching double A AA or triple A. He gets drafted. He goes into service, gets malaria. Goes from 195 pounds to the guy that we all know when he came to us at about 160 pounds because everybody referred to him as the thin man. Mm -hmm. But he came as uh, fo uh, assistant football, head basketball, head baseball guy. But he was a fantastic classroom teacher. He took he taught a seniors problems of American democracy. The guy, you can't, you can't be a great coach if you're not really a, a, a really outstanding teacher. All of those guys had it, and that's exactly what he had. They commanded respect when they just walked through the door. Mm -hmm. His image was that way, and that's how he coached. He. <clears throat> We played zone, George. They played zone because he cut me freshman year. I didn't even make the JV team. And uh, for three years, they played a 1-2-2 two, two zone. My junior year, I was in the front of the zone. Next thing I know, he goes away and he comes back with this ball-you-man defense, which revolutionizes mm -hmm. ball-you-man play, as we know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because the Bobby Knights, the Roller Unites, I mean, you know, the Tate's Locks and all of these, we're all disciples a volume man. Mm -hmm. And because Bobby Knight eventually brings him to be his assistant at West Point mm -hmm. as he's the athletic director at Belleville High School in New Jersey. But once he got that volume man, 
it fit in perfectly as he became the head football coach. He was an incredible organizer, disciplined guy. And then he was always great with the basketball, with the volume man stuff, okay? Then the baseball. So he had it. So when I left to go for my first job, when I got inducted in the Hall of Fame, I said to two people who had the biggest effect in my life, my father, and Al LaBalbo had the biggest influence on my life as a male because he was so intense and he wouldn't accept anything else other than excellence. He demanded chemistry. He demanded your heart. And none of us ever passed out. He took us in practices and in games to the point that in football, we're playing teams all over the state because nobody in our local area will play us, you know. And here he's doing this at this little Catholic school. He's doing it in three sports. He was the ultimate clinician. And if you have never had an opportunity to see him as a clinician, you missed it. Because he could have been on Broadway. Mm -hmm. He had that, he had that flair. When he walked out in front of 200, 300, 400 kids, 500 coaches, 1,000 coaches, whatever, you were mesmerized by his diction, by his grasp, knowledge, and how he could demonstrate without wasting a second. He had that, George. And now we're talking back, you know, oh, yeah. in, the, in the late 40s mm-hmm. into the 50s, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. He had that at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he, he gave me my greatest fight the day that I left because my dad and he were so close because my dad was the custodian and, and he and LaBalbo spent so many hours together. He said, you have an excellent voice. So when you go to coach, do not use the whistle unless you absolutely have to. Command their respect with your voice. Wow. George, he was right on the money. Because we as kids, we didn't understand that's what he was doing. The only time he ever used the whistle when we were on the sleds, okay? And when you had to use the whistle, to move guys, you know, an army of guys around. Mm-hmm.